Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Robbie Morton Show. Uh, my guest today, Anthony Garcia, and our subject today is going to be 007, Mr. James Bond. So stick around. I hope you enjoy. Take care. Welcome to the show, Anthony. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you for having me, Robbie. Yeah, sure. Anytime, man. Okay, so some of you know, some of you don't know, I recently got a new job uh, back in a couple months back. And I've met Anthony at my new place. One of the things that we have in common is love of science fiction and love of James Bond. So I figured, what the heck, get him on the show. This guy's knowledge of James Bond astonishes me. I did not know as much about James Bond that I could ever hope to know until I started talking to Anthony. So thank you for educating me. Okay, so my first question for you is, what is the first James Bond movie that you remember seeing? That would be The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay, tell me about it. Um, it, was, it was wonderful. I loved it. The, uh, the car mm -hmm. really caught my imagination. What type of car was it? It was a Lotus Esprit. Really? Yeah. Okay. And it was the one that went underwater. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes a good reference. Uh, like I said, uh, well, you have a lot more James Bond knowledge than I do. I do know some of the James Bond stuff. But it wasn't until Brosman brought me in. So my first movie was the actual first movie I got to see that was PG-13, Goldeneye. Excellent movie. Yes, and for me, that got me hooked. It wasn't until probably about 10 years later that I was able to go back and see some of the older stuff. So, all right. So with The Spy Who Loved Me, is there a particular scene that stands out as a memory for you? Something that you enjoyed? I really liked the uh, ski scene in the beginning. Okay. I thought that was very cool. Can you explain it a little? Uh, he takes off skiing. People start chasing him. And there's like shootouts with um, the, uh, I think his poles became guns or something like that. Yeah, uh, I yeah. think so. Yeah. And then there was the huge jump when he did the uh, the parachute. Mm -hmm. And the parachute was the British flag. Cool. Yeah, it was awesome. All right, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, was that Roger Moore? Yes. Cool. That was his third outing, and that's when he really solidified himself as Bond. That's when people accepted him as Bond. The prior two movies, Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun, the, the Bond fandom was waning. Now, I don't know that much about Man with the Golden Gun other than from the N64 game, Goldeneye, because you actually had a golden gun and one shot and you were dead. Typically, that's how it is with most guns, but, you know, take it with what it was as a video game guy. You try to go get that gun. That's right. <laughs> uh, like I said, for me, Goldeneye was the first PG-13 movie that I got to see with my dad. Uh, it was also the first movie where I saw a portrayal of a potential hero or co, I guess, yeah, I guess best word for it is hero. Uh, because that one had Sean Bean in it. He played Alec. He was also 006. He either, uh, memory serves me right, he either tried to fake his own death or was going to fake his own death, and then the explosion happened much sooner Correct. than anticipated. And Bond had to live with that until he found out that he was alive. Oh, just a heads up, we are going to be talking about plots, details, movies. So, spoiler alert. Sorry dropping that a little bit late, <laughs> but spoiler alert. All right. So, Bond, what is your favorite movie 
a bond? For your eyes only. Nice. Tell me about it. It was the first time that I was actually old enough to stay awake for an entire film mm -hmm. and the uh, and understand the plot. Okay. Cool. What was the plot? A submarine had sunk with some sort of computer that the Russians wanted because it controlled, I think, missiles or something. I'm not 100% okay. sure on that. The, uh, so Roger or uh, James Bond was sent over to recover it. And um, side storyline, there was a beautiful woman that was looking for revenge at the same time. And she was really cool. She had a crossbow and she killed people with the crossbow. And I thought that was really neat. <laughs> cool. Now, if memory serves me right... Uh, the woman who was looking for revenge, it was because someone killed her husband. Her parents. Her parents. Did we ever figure out who who it was? Yes, yes. And she did finally, or he finally died. I don't think she killed him, though. Okay. But she got justice. Yes. All right. Uh, for me, my favorite movie is going to be on Her Majesty's Secret Service. One of the reasons why is that there was an actor who played... Uh, James Bond for only one movie. George Lazenby. Yes, and he did that movie. Um, it's a little bit weird, especially with nowadays, that you only have the actor play the one role in a series like this. So for me, that kind of stands out. I think the plot line was great. Uh, to me, it's probably one of the top five Bond films, just with storylines, uh, special read. effects. Uh, it stayed very close to the book. One of the best theme songs that actually won an award. The Under Majesty's Secret Service theme. I didn't know that. Yes. Cool. So to me, that stands out. Next to that, like I said, I'm gonna have to go with Goldeneye. Uh, okay. So there has been, as of right now, six actors who have played in Bond films. Sean Connery. Uh, you have George Lazenby. George Lazenby. Thank you. I can't say that last name right without <laughs> making myself laugh. Of course, you have Mr. Moore. Then you have Dalton, then you have Brosman, and then you have Daniel Craig, which we'll talk about later. All right, if you could describe each one of those bonds in a couple of words, what would you describe them in? Um, one word for each, going in order. Well, I'll say the name, I guess. Okay. Connery, I had down as manly. George Lazenby, lackluster. Roger Moore, suave. Timothy Dalton, flat. And Pierce Brosnan, debonair. I did not include anything for Craig because I do not recognize him as Bond. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Yeah. For me, Connery, I have smart. For George, I have confused just because, like I said, is that it's the, he, he only played Bond in one film. You were telling me a story about George just before the start of this podcast. Tell me what you were saying earlier. Yeah, apparently he really wanted the role. He even went to the same barber as Sean Connery to get the same haircut. He tried out for it. He got it. And then he became a hippie during the, the taping. And um, by the end of the taping, he didn't want to be James Bond anymore. He didn't want to be associated with that character. He wanted to let his hair grow out and get grow a beard. And that was a big no-no back in the day. You couldn't do that as James Bond. You had to always be clean-shaven. Yep. Really? See... Like I said, he knows a lot more about Bond than I could ever hope to know. Well, I'm actually a second-generation Bond fan. Oh, you are? Who's the first generation? My father, Antonio Garcia. You want to give a shout-out to him? Hi, people. <laughs> All right, so, like I said, for George, I have confused. More I'm putting is brilliant, because in between, after on His Majesty's Secret Service, they brought back in Sean Connery. But the film that they brought him back in, which uh, memory serves me right. 
Diamonds was forever. say again. Diamonds are forever. Diamonds are forever. Uh, while prepping for this interview, I watched that film. It didn't have the same charisma that he had for an example, Doctor No or Goldfinger. So they end up replacing him with more. I think more for a new Bond. His first two films struggled, but his third film that he did. I really enjoyed, and you know his third film. Yes, The Spy Who Loved Me. Yes. So, And I'll tell you about Diamonds Are Forever. They offered him a ton of money to be Bond again, and his heart was just not in it. Everyone said so. He, he, like, you noticed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, whenever people say James Bond, I'm always going with Sean Connery. That's the quintessential first Bond, you know, just... A manly man, if that makes any sense. <laughs> that, that was my term for him, right? Manly. Yes. Uh, so for more, I have brilliant. Dalton, I'm going to say charming because he brought a different peel to Bond that other Bonds had not. Is that he took himself serious, but he didn't take himself super serious. Like he was able to laugh and, you know, have a couple of good times and expense, you know, just make fun of himself a little. But that's why I called him flat because all the jokes he tried to make kind of fell flat. He didn't really have the, um, the same charisma that a Roger Moore had. Agreed. But he was the kind of the forerunner for the Daniel Craig bond. He tried to make bond a more serious and killer and he tried to play it as close to the book as possible. And I never liked the Ian Fleming books. I, I, I liked the later books from like John Gardner and, um, something Raymond, I forget the gentleman's name, but I did not like Ian Fleming's books. So I was very happy with the movie Bond, which was, you know, cars and women and gambling and <laughs> exotic locations. That's, to me, that's what Bond was or is. Yeah, after seeing Goldeneye, I did read some of the Fleming books and, I, and I'll, I'll agree with you a little bit. Some of the books were eccentric over the top, but there were other books that I really enjoyed, like the actual first book, if memory serves me right, was Casino Royale. And that didn't end up getting filmed until later on. So I was able to enjoy that book a lot more. And sometimes the movies are better than the books. Sometimes the books are better than the movies. And then there's very few where it's both are equally enjoyable. To me, that's how it was with Casino Royale. So both were equally enjoyable. I read the book first. The movie was, for the first Daniel Craig one, pretty good. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, for uh, Piers Brosnan, I put Fearless just because he was coming in after Dalton, and it's the first time, I want to say, in like five or six years that there was a new Bond. And I think he embraced it as his own character. He didn't try to copy anybody. He didn't try to mimic anybody. He just took it as its own. He was the perfect, in my opinion, he was the perfect blend of Roger Moore and Sean Connery. Yes, that, that is an excellent way of saying that. Now, I will say this. There are a couple of his movies which are very forgettable, but I don't blame that on him. I right. blame that on a weak script. Exactly. Like Tomorrow Never Dies and... Die, and um, oh, The World Is Not Enough. I did not like it at all. Yeah, or yeah, and The World Is Not Enough. To me, those are two very forgettable movies just because of weak scripts. I mean, there's a newspaper Mongol trying to take over the world with the news. I mean, you know... right. It's just a weak script. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So and then we're going to go to the one that you don't recognize that I call tragic because I think for the first couple of films, he played a good bond. But for me, after Skyfall, I would have been done with him. I would have gotten somebody else new. I would have just been done because I think 
for the three those three films would have been great for him, but uh, for for Daniel Craig. But the fact that he's gone on to do Spectre and the fact that he's doing a new Bond movie, which has been hopefully coming out later on this year, uh, I I think that he's been overused. I could see that. Um, I really do. I really do like the new Bond film, at least what I've seen so far. Yes. I think it might be going back to the old recipe, at least from some of the things I've seen. And of course, the leading lady is a Cuban girl, so I <laughs> love it. Yes. Uh, what, like I said, uh, or another thing I'll talk about is that when I was doing research for this, a lot of people have said Bond is only as good as his villain. True. And sometimes Bond is only as good as his female companion for that movie. So, but to me, I'm going with, in order to have a good Bond, you need a good villain. If you don't have a good villain, the Bond's not going to be recognized. Would you agree with that? 100%. All right. So, from that... Who would you say has been your favorite 007 villain? Jaws, hands down. From what film? He was in two films, actually. He was in The Spy Who Loved Me and mm-hmm. then in Moonraker. Okay. And then he became friends with Bond. Well, kind of friends. They were friendly. That's right. I forgot he was in Moonraker. I forgot about that one. Yes. All right. And he was super scary as a kid. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, for me, I've got two. I've got Alec. From Goldeneye. Excellent villain. Yes. And then uh, this one from Goldfinger, I believe it's yeah. Goldfinger, is Oddjob. Yeah. He was a very cool villain. Yeah. I mean, okay. That, that hat is awesome. Yes. And, it, and on IGN, you know, for a supporting villain, not main villain, but for supporting villain, he was in the top 10. And the fact that he died for going for his hat, I mean, come on. That's just, that's just comic funny. But I loved... The fact that you know most of his t- most of the time that when you saw him when he was in the car or nothing he just had a faceless expression he was built uh, you know he was a good sub villain not top you know main villain but he was a good sub villain but for the main villain I'm going with Alec Goldeneye just because of the portrayal that impacted Bond he was Bond's best friend I mean he was even 006 right so I mean and that was the first time. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the first time that they've talked about another double O outside of seven. In in the Brosnan movies, yeah, but no, we had double O nine in Free Eyes Only. He played the clown in the teaser that That's right. shot stealing the egg, uh, the Fabergé egg. And I think there might have been a mention of another double O in one of the Connery movies, but I'm not as well versed in those as I am with Roger Moore because I grew up with Roger Moore's Bond. Right. No, and I like and I like what you just said is that it was for the Brosman era. I like to think as James Bond is one character, but you have him in different eras by the actors who portrayed him. Right. So, but I do like that, you know, each actor tried to take Bond in his own way while also showing respect to the predecessors. Yes. All right. So you talked to me a little bit about Daniel Craig. From your least favorite actor to your favorite actor tell me your bond dalton lazenby connery moore bronson bronson sorry okay and once again we do not acknowledge daniel craig no (laughs) (laughs) all right for me I'm going with uh, Lazenby just because he was in one Bond film. It really wasn't enough for me to establish, even though On His um, Majesty's is one of my favorites. Uh, 
that's why he squeaked above Dalton for me. Yeah. Uh, next, I have Dalton. Then after that, I've got Craig. Then I've got Bronson. Then Moore. Final one, the one who started it all, who I think could never, ever be classified as a bad bond, is Connery. So so really, you like Moore better than Brosnan? I do. I would have thought that since your first exposure to Bond was Brosnan, he would be your favorite. Well, he was at the time, but now that I've had to go, now that I've had the chance to go back to watch other films, I have more of a respect for the way that Moore portrayed Bond, for the way that he acted on him, for the way that he was able to embrace the character. But if you were to ask 1995 me, the only James Bond I'm going to know is going to be Bronson. Right. right. But like I said, in prep for this, I was able to watch maybe about 10 of the Bond films. I wasn't able to watch all of them, but I was able to watch about 10 of the Bond films. Some of them I had never seen before. Some of them I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot that this happened. Or or oh yeah. So yeah, that's my list. But like I said, for the ten year old me and for the first exposure that I've had with Bond, it's gonna be Bronson. So but from favorite Bond, Connery's gotta take the list. I mean, he just has to take that list. He definitely created the cinema bond. Yes. All right. So if you could take any Bond actor and put him in a different Bond movie, what actor, what movie? I would have liked to have seen Roger Moore do on Her Majesty's Secret Service and actually have that be the beginning of the Roger Moore era. I think that would have totally changed the Bond history and the trajectory of the character. We would have avoided Diamonds Are Forever with Sean Connery that was too old for the role. Uh, He would have, um, Roger Moore would have been accepted earlier because, I mean... Like we we're saying, sometimes it's not the actor, it's the script. Live and Let Die was kind of a of a different type of Bond movie. And mm-hmm. the audience didn't really know what to make of it. They were changing from the 60s to the 70s, and they were trying to do some different things with Bond. So I think if we would have gotten Roger Moore during Her Majesty's Secret Service, that would have been a great transition for, for the audience. The Bond fandom would have not hit that weak spot that we had between uh, The Man with the Golden Gun and The Spy Who Loved Me. That's a I've never thought of it that way. That is a... Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. I've got nothing else to say to that. I'm going to completely agree with that. I like that analogy. I think that's a good one. Because then you wouldn't have had George. I'm, I'm, I can't even say his last Lazenby. name. Lazenby, right? Um, yeah, then you would never have had George. I, I agree with you. I think more had been in that one. I think that movie would have gotten a lot more credit. And like I said, that's one of my top five films. So, yeah, I agree with that. Wait, and then I'd like to add, and then I would like to think that the fans, when Roger Moore retired, wanted Brosnan to take over because we knew him through Remington Steel. Yes. The same thing happened in the 60s when Sean Connery retired. The fans wanted Roger Moore to take over, but the, um, the British network that had him under the saint wouldn't let him go with the contract. So had they let that go, I would like to think it would have set a precedent so then we could have gotten Brosnan uh, to take over the mantle from Roger Moore after Octopussy, and then we would have avoided the two old Bond and never or in uh, A View to a Kill. And then A View to a Kill would have been Brosnan's first Bond film, and I think he would have killed it. Yeah, I like that because that also would have set up for him to be more of an established Bond. And, and we would Goldeneye. have avoided Timothy Dalton. Yeah, okay, Dalton wasn't that bad of a Bond. I'll, I'll say this, he had his flaws. Don't get me wrong, he had his flaws. But compared 
to the scripts of those films, I think he did what he could. Because, let's admit it, some of those scripts for some of the Dalton films weren't necessarily the best, but I also think that the acting could have been better. But an actor is only as good as his script, as in he could try to make it as best as he can, but also depending on the director, if he is told to say it this way, act this way, or do, and do this or that, that is the director. That is what is he, you know, that is his vision. Right. And The Living Daylight is not a bad movie. Um, however, his second movie, License to Kill, that barely qualifies as a Bond movie. That was more of a 1980s revenge movie. Yeah, I tried watching that as one of the 10 films. I fell asleep twice. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it just didn't hold me. But the title, License to Kill, I mean, that just grabs you. You know, as in if you are walking in to, well, you know, you don't walk into movie stores anymore. But, you know, if you're looking on Netflix or wherever and you see a title like that, that's just going to grab you. But it was such a disappointment. Like I said, I fell asleep twice trying to watch it. So, all right, for me, I'm going to go with more and Tomorrow Never Dies. Once again, um, it would have been after GoldenEye, but the script was so weak for Tomorrow Never Dies that I think that Brosman couldn't do anything with it. I think more would have been able to improvise some of his own line and some of his own dialogue and add that more flash, as I like to call it, to make it a better film because that film is very hard to remember. The only thing I remember about it is Terry Hatcher. <laughs> and I know her from Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Correct. That and the cars. I mean, you know, Bond cars. Always. Yes. <laughs> All right. So next one for you. Have you ever ordered a martini Bond style? I have not. Um, I do not like martinis. Although in doing some research for this, I learned that I guess he ordered an espresso martini in one of the movies. So I looked that up and I would try that because I'm a big espresso drinker. What film was that? I'm, uh... I don't know. I didn't have time to okay. find out what film that was. But uh, For me, I have. The bartender laughed at me. <laughs> and he also explained to me that Bond essentially orders a weak martini. Uh, the reason why that you use a special spoon to turn the ice is so the ice doesn't break and water down the martini. So when he says shaken, not stirred, he, he, you're breaking down the ice and you're going to end up with a weak martini. The reason, like I said, the reason why you stir it is so the ice doesn't chip. Okay. Um, I forget which one of the books explained why he does shaken, not stirred and had something to do with um, the bubbles that are created when you shake it. Uh, so it allows more oxygen to go to the head so that he's more alert, even though he's been drinking. Well, when you got people chasing you with guns, it's probably a good idea to have a watered-down drink. <laughs> All right. The longest person to ever play in a Bond movie was Q. Yes. Lu Q, go ahead. I, was saying, I think it was Lewin is his name or something like that. I think so. Um, Q was in Bond for over 25 years. Twenty, Yeah, over 25 years. So. If you were James Bond and you could have Q make you your dream tech, what would that be? Wow, yeah. Um, when you gave me this question, it was just too many possibilities. So what I decided to answer on it is the if I can get any one of Bond's toys, which one would it be? Okay. And um, I want that car that turns invisible that Pierce Brosnan had. I think that would be awesome. Oh, with the reflectors. Uh, that was in tomorrow. Was that one in? I think it's... Yeah, I think it's Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. It was one, the one with the Ice Palace. 
Yeah, that's either Tomorrow Never Dies or The World Is Not Enough. Like I said, those two interchange with me. Uh, but yeah, no, is in that one had the reflectors to where it would just copy the image of what whatever was yeah. being shown. Yes. Okay. Oh, now as a child, I wanted the watch from Moonraker that had the darts. I thought that was cool because put your hands up. You put your hands up and then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For me, I did say watch, but I went with the laser watch from Goldeneye. Um, I just like the fact that okay, you know, if you are in a locked room or if you need to have something open. Just push a little button, a little bit of laser comes out, you're able to open it up. Uh, then I also thought about, okay, nuclear fallout, what else can protect me? And I decided, it's a little bit of a funny one, but radioactive lint. Right. That was from On Her Majesty's Services. Uh, but yeah, so that's what I went with tech-wise. A little bit cheesy. I mean, you know, you could always go with the Connery Moore jetpacks, you know, Definitely the cars are high tech. You know, the one where you push a button and the passenger seat just ejects from the roof. Oh, that was standard in all of the vehicles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, trust me, there are many, many times I wish I could do that to, <laughs> to my people who are driving passengers with me. You know, and then it was funny, and I, I believe it was Goldeneye. The, uh, when, no, I'm sorry, it was Die Another Day. Okay. When um, Pierce Brosnan meets Q in this forgotten underground uh, place that they had. And then all in the background, you see all of the old stuff that Bond used in the past. You have the the alligator suit that he was wearing for Octopussy. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the uh, um, you had a shoe there. I forgot what the shoe did, um, but anyway, there was a whole bunch there. It's, it was a, it was good fan service. That's cool. I didn't notice that. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch that. Yeah, rewatch that. I have not noticed that. All right, so let me ask you this: What do you think of the modern Bond films compared to the earlier? 60s and 70s bonds uh for me i prefer films where the tech and storylines might have been a bit cheesy at the time but there's something to also be said about class what i like to call as classic films versus today's films where you know that it's been cgi'd where you know that it's computer generated or it's been whatever you want it to be there's something to be said about hard effects because let's say when Moore and Connery had the jetpack on, there was no green screen. There was no blue screen. They actually had something on. They had a jerry rig holding them up, right. <laughs> moving them around. I mean, there's just something to be said about the earlier films compared to today. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like some of the films for today. I like the, the, the cars, some of the technology aspect. But it's also just saying going back to a simpler time where you were just new like you didn't know if that was actual on the set or if that was done by the actor or stuntman or whatever what do you think um yeah i i totally agree with you i like practical effects over the cgi any day of the week and the older bond movies are more fun um my, my question here was are you comparing it to the Daniel Craig or are you comparing the uh, Connery Moore to the Dalton Brosnan? It can go either way. Uh, that you could take it from Sean Connery to the current Bond now, or you can even compare it from the 60s to the 70s, then the 70s to the 80s, and then to current. So, I mean, to me, the 60 films, Dr. No, Goldfinger, all those stand out more as a memory 
than the current films. Uh, that's okay. That happens from time to time. <laughs> so to me, those films stand out more. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they're older and what I like to call classics. To me, it's just storyline, special effects that you just didn't know if it was. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this. The Connery movies were better espionage movies. They, um, they, they were more serious movies. By the time we reach Roger Moore, there's a lot of campiness to it. There's, they're, they're playing. That's more, a good word for it. Yeah, they're playing more on the humor aspect of it, and it almost became a parody of itself by the end. Um, that's one of the reasons Dalton wanted to take such a serious, uh, wanted to do such a serious take on the characters. He felt it had gone way too much on the other end, and and that's why I love Brosnan because I think he was able to kind of marry the seriousness of Sean Connery with some of the playfulness of Roger Moore. Yeah, I mean, because I'll give a reference to Goldeneye. Uh, I think I'm saying her name right, Ivana on top, or however you say it. Uh-huh. You know, is that whenever they're trying to have relations, she's trying to kill him, and he's being playful about it. You know, he's being serious, but he's also being playful about it. If that had been done under more, I agree with you. I think it would have been campy. Right, and and the reason I like the older, the '60s, '70s Bond better is because. Later on, they try to put this political correctness onto Bond. So you have Brosnan's no longer smoking. The uh, they severely cut down the number of women he beds during the, the the film, and they try to make him a little more sensitive. And, yes, and that's not really Bond. Bond is you know cold killer who's a womanizer, hard drinker, hard smoker. He likes to gamble. You know that that's Bond, and that really comes forward more in Sean Connery than Roger Moore, but even in Roger Moore. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. I like that. Uh, I'll tell you another thing that I had a little bit of issue with looking back on it now, now that I've have been more exposed to Bond. Uh, M. The first time that M has ever, ever been played by a woman, Goldeneye. Um, oh, I know her name. Judy. Bench. Thank you. And I think that, because I know there was a lot of backlash having a female M, but I think she played it well. And the oh, fact she that nailed it. and the fact that she did that for multiple bonds, not just one bond, but for multiple bonds, and the way that she went out in Skyfall, I mean, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I was very skeptical at first when I heard they were making Emma woman, um, but she totally owned the role, and she was the one redeeming factor when they rebooted the Bond series with Craig that they kept her as M. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you, because uh, like I said, it's that with, or like what I'm saying now is the earlier M's were good, but they weren't necessarily part of the storyline the way that when Judy took over the role that she kind of was incorporated into the storyline. Yeah, and they gave like a personal relationship between Bond and her. There wasn't really that with the men who played M. Right. I mean, because what was it in... Oh, cause it was either Casino Royale or Skyfall to where he actually goes to her house. Mm. And that had never been even thought of prior to that, to my, to, to my knowledge. Not in the movies. In the books, yes, but not in the movies. Right. All right. So uh, one of the things that we talked about was if you could be a Bond villain. 
So from that, if you could be a just a character in the Bond film that's not Bond, but just like, you know, whether if it's Money Penny, whether if it's M, Q, or anything like that, who would you want to be? Oh, Felix Leiter, hands down. Bond's CIA friend. Nice. Uh, is that with the newer stuff or with the older stuff? Um, by newer, you mean Craig? Yeah. Yeah, I don't recognize the newer stuff at all. Okay. So, to me, that's not Bond. That's Jason Bourne English style. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. I never thought of it that way. They had the same uh, team coordinate the fights. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. So, um, yeah, Felix, even though he gets, you know, his uh, arm and, and leg eaten by a shark and live and let die, I'll still take Felix. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you wanted to go with the American CIA. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with Q. I'm the type of person that's never wanted to be the man. I don't want to be Bond. I want to be the guy that the guy counts on. I want to be the guy who either builds the tech or is able to advise him. Um, I don't want to be in a position of that much power. So I don't want to be M. I don't want to be, you know, all of that. Just let me help him make the tech. Let me help him look cool. <laughs> That's what I want to be. Yeah, and that was a great dynamic between uh, Q and Bond. That you know they were always kind of sniping. Well, Q was sniping at him, and Bond would make jokes of the work. And yeah, and then in uh, License to Kill, you actually see Q go out into the field to help Bond as like a personal favor because Bond needed help. So yes, that, that's right. Yeah. That was the best part of that movie. <laughs> I think that's shortly after that is when I fell asleep. Like I said, that movie was hard to keep me awake. All right. So we, you've established that you don't acknowledge Daniel Craig as Bond. Daniel Craig is not Bond.com. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's <laughs> Okay. I was about to say, uh, we're going to look that up. <laughs> it, it, was, it was up when he was first casted as Bond. And we, were, we were all venting our disapproval on it. All right, let me ask you this, and feel free to go into much detail as you want on this. Why do you not recognize Daniel Craig as Bond? Well, it's it's a reboot. It's a totally different continuity. It's he, he doesn't have the the jokes. It doesn't have the um, the gadgets. I mean, they've started to incorporate some of the gadgets in these last couple films, but um, to me, that's what made Bond Bond, or part of what made Bond Bond was the gadgets. And, you know, the, the witty one-liners. And there were fights, but they weren't over-the-top fights like these are. Explain. It's hard to follow some of these fights sometimes. They're, they, they move fast and, and, and they're cut fast. And I understand that's the way film is done these days. But when, since it's a new reboot, it's fine that they do that. But in the, old, the older movies in the franchise, the, uh, it, was, it was much simpler. It was easier to follow the fights. Um, I don't know. I guess it was slower pace. Okay. I follow you now. Yeah. So what you're saying is there was something either simple or simplistic about the fights compared to the sixties and seventies compared to the way it is now that it's much more fast, much, it has much higher movement and things like that. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that because I think of what was in either Casino Royale or Quantum of Solace where it starts off on a train and then it moves to a building and then there's like uh, a Jerry rig involved and a bunch of other stuff. And then he ends up getting knocked out by somebody else. Uh, Bond's chasing somebody where it was just the good old days where it was just a car chase and it wasn't a high bunch of explosions and this and that. It was, it was just simpler. Correct. 
But, and this is just my own opinion, you don't need a bunch of heavy special effects to make a good scene. I agree. Sometimes simple is better. I mean, you look at Hitchcock. Hitchcock very, you know, he used special effects, but there's also something in his, I'm going to call it beauty, and the way that he did his films. So True. Now, we'd be remiss not to mention the James Bond fight on the train on From Russia With Love. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. The, that actually won an award for editing. I didn't know that. I mean, it was, and, and it's excellent. I mean, you watch that and it is a good fight. And especially in those days when editing wasn't as sophisticated as, as it is these days. There were a lot of jump cuts back then. Right. So, yeah, um, I highly recommend that movie. It's a great Bond movie. I think after um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, it's probably the best written movie. All right. So I don't have that much, I don't want to say antagonistic, but I don't have that much of a beef with Daniel Craig. Is that the best word I could use for it? Sure. Okay, yeah. Although I like the guy. I mean, I've seen him in other stuff. He's a good actor. Yeah. Um, avoid Alien and Cowboys and you'll be okay. That one is James Bond meets Han Solo <laughs> with aliens and somewhere around the way. It I went. thought it was fun. Okay. <laughs> but I like Westerns. Okay. See, see, here's the thing. And I'm getting sidetracked, but it's worth talking about. You take a movie directed by the guy who brought Iron Man in. You combine Steven Spielberg. Ron Howard, you top it off with James Bond and Han Solo. I'm expecting a holy wow movie. You're getting Indiana Jones and James Bond and a movie. And then it comes out and I'm like, yay, I'm hooked. And then, and, and on top of it, you throw in Olivia Wilde, who at the time I believe was 13 on house. Like she played the character 13 on house. Uh, also a big fan of her and Tron. But you throw all those elements in, Steven Spielberg, Ron Howard, John Favreau, and then I don't know what happened. And here's the thing. I love the comic. I just don't know what happened. I went in there with probably, this is one of the few movies I'm thinking, okay, I have expectations. You will exceed them. Exactly the problem. That's what I was going to say. You had too high expectations. Got to go into movies with very low expectations. That way you're not disappointed. And since then, I've had no expectations for any movies other than Star Wars. Exactly. I, 100%, yes. <laughs> Star Wars, yeah. I, every episode, somehow, I always end up talking about Star Wars. I try to avoid it. I'm not apologizing. It's a big reference. But Star Wars, I go in there to be enjoyed. I know it's going to be a good film. Rather, if you like it, don't like it, it's going to be a good film. This, I don't know what happened. And I'm not knocking Daniel Craig. I'm not knocking the Harrison Ford or the directors or anybody involved in it. I just don't know what happened. You expected better. Yes, because it was such a great comic. I was about to say that too. And you had read the comic, so you already had some preconceived notions about it. I hadn't didn't even know it was based on a comic until I saw it come up on the credits. <sighs> yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. All right, so... With the new James Bond film coming out later on this year, No Time to Die, the, uh, supposedly this is the last Daniel Craig film. Yes. We hope. If there was going to be a different actor or actress to play James Bond, who would you want it to be? I've been saying for a while now that I would like to see Liam Hemsworth take on the Bond mantle. Um, right now, he's still a little bit too young. I'd, I'd like to give him you know, three or four years to get seasoned, a little more seasoned, but 
Um, if it has to be now, better better early than late. We get more films from the the guy. See, I was actually um, when you had told me that I actually did a little bit of research on him. What I think what would be great is if they were to do like a TV series on the origins of Bond, uh, and have you know maybe twelve thirteen episodes and have him work his way up to double O status. And I think he would be great for that role. Yeah, I'm down for that because he's at the right age. You can come up with new concepts. And the thing with Bond is that he has multiple backstories. So it's hard to establish which is a true backstory for Bond because we know that he's a double O. We know that he is a spy and so forth, but you really don't have much of a childhood origin. And correct me if I'm wrong, you really don't have much of a childhood origin on how he became part of the organization to become a spy. Yeah, um, I don't know how deep uh, Ian Fleming went into it. The I know he came from the Navy, right? Mm-hmm. That's the the rank commander. That's what right. we call him Commander Bond in the movies. But I don't think they talked about his life prior to that. So you know, he was picked from the Navy to get to go into MI6. He, there's an unauthorized biography of James Bond out there, which I read, and it talked about him uh, being in boarding school. And I think they touched on this in Skyfall that his parents died. Um, on a skiing accident on, on holiday. Okay, so there's bits and pieces of his past, but nothing to connect all the dots. Right, right. So I think this would be a good, I think he would be an excellent actor to have, like I said, like a, either six, 13 episodes, maybe one to two seasons, because you don't want to overindulge it just on how he became from the commander to working for MI6 to have a license to kill 007. I think that's a great idea. Netflix, Amazon, you listening? Or Hulu. Come on, Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who actually owns the rights to Bond. I know it's MGM, but I don't know who owns MGM now. There's been so much. Uh, last, I think it was Sony. Okay, Sony? Okay. At least so. Yeah. Because I know for, I mean, I know that it's been one major studio that's developed most of the films. But I know that there's been different release studios. So I don't know right. who owns the rights. But for if you are one of the almost 1,000 people that listen to my podcast, take this idea. You don't have to give me credit. Just produce it. All right. So you said Liam who? Oh, Hemsworth. Hemsworth. Thor, Thor's little brother. Thor's little brother. Okay. I think he was in Ragnarok because they had Matt Damon and him in there. Oh, I didn't notice. Yes, because it was when... Uh, Loki was acting as Odin and they had Matt Damon play uh, Loki like because it was on the play and then I think they had the brother play Thor alright for me I've got two male actors and then I also threw in a female because this day and age you just never know uh, we're thinking of making Bond female yes yes uh, for me I've got Dan Stevens who was in Downton Abbey he played Legion in the FX series and he was also in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, he's got the appearance of Bond. He's British. I know Bond sometimes is played by Scottish and British, so either one of those work. Uh, I think that he would play a good Bond. I also have uh, Damian Lewis. Uh, he was in Band of Brothers. He was in Homeland. He, right now he's in a TV show called Billions. Uh, I think he would also play a good Bond. I think that he's got the look and the attitude of it. Yeah, I'm not sure he's got the look. I, I, I Googled him when you mentioned him to see what he looked like. I don't. To be, I think Bond should be a good-looking guy. 
I don't think he's a good looking guy. But then again, who knows? I'm a guy, so I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Women, I don't think I don't <laughs> think Craig is particularly good looking. Women love him. Yeah, but I think that's more sex appeal than physical. And I think that's why sometimes they, and once again, this is my own opinion. I think that's why sometimes they try to go for the opposite sex to bring them into the movie theater. Men are going to go see this because it's Bond. There's going to be explosions. There's going to be pretty ladies in there. and Fast cars. Yeah, fast cars, good tech, things like that. So you got the male aspect of wanting to go see this movie, including some females in that. But I think they also go with pretty boys to try to bring in some of the women. Once again, my opinion, nobody else's opinion, my opinion. So now, as far as a female Bond actor, I had never really given that any thought until I saw your pick. So I did a quick... Google search on on British actresses. The uh, the only one I liked for the role would be uh, Ray from uh, Star Star Wars. What's her name? Daisy. Ray, Daisy Ridley. Ridley. Yes. Yes. Okay, that's a good choice. Uh, I actually had it down to her and the person that I went with, who is current, who is the current Doctor on Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker. I think I'm saying her name right, but yes, uh, I think that she's got a little bit of a the spunk to play Bond especially if he's going to go into a female role, because I don't know how they would incorporate a female bond. I think it, well, once again, I'm, I'm, t- I'm touching back to as long as there's a great script acting can match that. So sure. I do hope that if there is a female bond movie, that there's able to be multiple movies of that. I hope they just don't go one and done. It failed. Move on. What's next? So but my problem with that is I don't see why they have to use the Bond name. And if they're going to make it a female, make it 009 again, you know, the, the someone else in that universe. And then there can even be a crossover with Bond. I, I don't see why they need to take that name and that moniker and, and change it to, to a woman. Or, and correct me if I'm wrong, they've never established a 001 or 002. Um, in the movies, no. There's only been like three or four Macs in the movies that have been um, identified as another double O. Right. So she could even be another double O. It Correct. doesn't have to be a double O seven. It could be double O one, double O two, or mm-hmm. whatever. Because with the exception of six and may even have replaced double O six, there's only going to be nine double O's. Right. Ten if you count zero zero zero, but I'm guessing they're going through O with one to O with nine. Correct. So, yeah, you're only going to get those guys. So that that's my pick for a female Bond and a male Bond. Uh, I do like your pick, and I like that. You know, I would hope that one day they do an origins, so to speak, like a complete origins. That this is the established origins. This is what happened. This is what happened to his parents. We know that they were killed in a ski accident. We don't know how old he was. He was taken into the military academy. He became a Navy commander. Or it could be that when he joined the MI6, they, that was the rank that they gave him. Right. The um, One of my favorite series of all times is Young Indiana Jones. So if they were to do something like that, that would be awesome. Yeah, I like that. All right, so I've got a little bit of a side thing for you. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. You tell me what your what what the answer is. What is your favorite Bond song? Like mm. at the very beginning when they play it. Wow, I I am I am a big fan of the music, probably even more so than the movies. Okay, so that's a tough one for me. I know that for your eyes only and the Spy Who Loved Me really stick out for the classics, but they just they're all so good. I mean, they really are. And um, 
the Pierce Brosnan movies had some great ones. The Sheryl Crow one, I love that one. Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, the movie wasn't that good, but that song kicked butt. I think Madonna did Die Another Day. Yes, she did. And the music has always been. And then uh, Shirley Basie, she did like three of them. Mm-hmm. Awesome voice. Great songs. And um, Goldfinger was another good one that stood out. Yes. And it's funny, Goldfinger and The Man with the Golden Gun are the two songs, theme songs for the movie that don't talk about Bond. They're talking about the villain. That's right. Yeah. I know. Wow. I'm just now thinking of that. Yeah. Okay. For me, I got to go with Adele Skyfall. Mm-hmm. She won the Oscar for it. Sure. It was a big Bond film. Uh, just the way that her vocals were on that. So I got to give that to Skyfall. Uh, sorry, to Skyfall with Adele. All right. So. Oh, I'll add one more thing. The I think taking my personal uh, personal prejudices out of it, the uh, the man with the golden gun is probably the best song. All right, so my next question for you: movie posters. Uh, one of the things that captures me with a Bond is the way that the movie posters are done. Golden Eye, excellent movie poster. But for me, my favorite one is the first one. You have Doctor No, nineteen sixty two. You had on the poster. You had guns. You had. Girls that were half clothed but turned around, and then you just had Bond on there. That did not happen in 1962. Those type of posters <laughs> were not displayed. Right. I mean, this is early 60s, not hippie 60s, but early 60s. Stuff like that didn't happen. What about you? Um, again, I'm a big fan of the, the posters. The, the Thunderball posters were awesome because it was kind of like that first Star Wars poster, but there's a lot going on, mm-hmm. you know? and, and it, it, like, it almost tells its own story. I think one of the most iconic ones was For Your Eyes Only, where you have the, the women's legs right there and then him shooting through the legs. That's right, yeah. But my favorite one is The Spy Who Loved Me, partly because it had a lot of the, the same you know, stuff going on, but I don't know, something about it. Maybe it's because as a child I saw it a lot because my father had the... Of the record, and I would listen to the the record looking at that uh, picture. Okay, cool. All right, now the next one is something that we were talking about earlier. Bond's girls, as I like to call them. Yes. Now, just about in every movie, a Bond girl death occurs. Sure. What is your favorite Bond girl death? Um, I'm gonna have to go with Goldfinger. That's the one I went with. Yeah, I mean, there's something about, you know, she just poured solid gold on her, or liquid gold and solidified. You were telling me something about Goldfinger earlier, uh, that the Bond girl in that one was actually lip-synced by somebody else? That's Dr. No. Okay, Dr. No, okay. Yeah, that that actress, um, she did not know English at the time of filming, so uh, all her lines were dubbed, the dialogue by one person, and then when she sings, it was dubbed by another person. Really? Yes. See? That's what I'm saying. You are the Bond expert. And, uh, and that, um, that scene of her coming out of the sea with the white bikini and the knife, which was copied later on by Halle Berry, the, um, the original scene, that was voted number one sexiest scene of all time by I don't know who. But yeah, it was, it was iconic. Cool. All right. So the next thing I've got for you, and the, you've had no prep on this. I wanted to try to keep it a secret, is what I like to call the lightning round. Okay. Um, if you've listened to the shows before, you know that it's never expected, but it's always there. All right. I'm going to name all of the Bond films 
You tell me what actor that played Bond for that film. Oh, okay. All right. We so, will start off with Dr. No, 1962. Sean Connery. All right. From Russia with Love, 1963. Connery. Goldfinger, 64. Connery. A lot of Connerys right there. Uh, Thunderbolt. Connery. I didn't even get to say 1965. <laughs> you only live twice, 67. That's Connery. All right. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. George Lazenby. 1969. Diamonds Are Forever. That was Connery again. But we all agree it should have been more. I think I think so, yeah. Okay, that was uh, 71. Live and Let Die. More. Not, okay, that was Moore's first Bond film, 1973. Man with the Golden Gun. More. 1974. The Spy Who Loved Me. More. 1977. Moonraker. More. 1979. I should have had you sit the years on these because you're just gonna na- you're you're, <laughs> you're just gonna ace this. Uh, for your eyes only, eighty one more. All right, uh, Octopussy eighty three more. A view to kill eighty five more. The Living Daylights eighty seven. Timothy Dalton. License to kill eighty nine. Dalton. Goldeneye. That was Pierce Brosnan ninety five. Tomorrow Never Dies. Brosnan ninety seven. The World Is Not Enough. Brosnan ninety nine. Die Another Day. Brosnan. 2002. You are blowing through these. Uh, Casino Royale, 2006. Daniel Craig. Quantum of Solace, 08. Craig. Skyfall, 12. Craig. Spectre, 15. Craig. And No Time to Die. Craig. All right. And No Time to Die got pushed back. Hopefully, it'll come out this year. Hopefully. Yeah, but it was pushed back to November, which I think is exactly where Bond belongs. And why is that? Well, historically, it used to come out in November, and November is the month for Scorpio, and I think Bond really reflects what, you know, is typical Scorpio. All right, Anthony, I've got another question for you, and this is something that hopefully never happens, but just in case it does, if James Bond were to have a permanent death, no resurrection, no healing, no brought back to life, dead, dead, like dead, dead, how would you want James Bond to go out? I'd like him to go out saving someone, possibly even a woman. Since so many women have died for him in the movies, uh, it would turn about as fair play and he dies for a woman. Nice. Uh, I got to mirror that. I want him to go out on a justifiable death. Um, I think like what you were saying uh, when we were talking about it earlier, I don't want it to be a gunshot. You know, gunshot's too simple. It's too easy for Bond. Correct. I want it to be a self-sacrifice. If that makes any sense. Yes. All right, Anthony, my next question for you is, if you could be in a James Bond film, what film would you want to be? And would you rather want to be Bond or the villain? Hands down, I would want to be Bond, and it would be in The Spy Who Loved Me, because I think Barbara Bach is the most gorgeous woman, and I would love to have been able to sleep with her. <laughs> okay. Uh, for me... That is a good question. I don't know. I mean, some of it is the aspect of, do I go with the beautiful girl or do I go with the storyline and just wanted to live out that character? Well, that's the beauty. Despite what Love Me had a good on that other part. Yeah. Yeah. All right. For me, I'm going with Goldeneye because you've got the two Russian women, Ivana on top, and then you also have... uh, I want to say her name was Natasha. Yes. 
Yes, you also have Natasha, who ended up being a Bond girl, so to speak. So I'm going to go GoldenEye on either one of those. All right, another one for you. If you were to take any movie that's out there nowadays, past or present movies, and put James Bond in that movie, what movie would that be, and how would it affect the outcome? Okay, I'm going to give a silly answer. Mine is going to be, I either want Sean Connery or more, and I want to put them in Mars Attacks. The Tim Burton Mars Attacks. See, that's what I'm saying. Is then, you know, just throw them out there. Any movie, anything like that. I think that would just be fun. I think that'd be a good comedy. <laughs> but that's just my opinion. Uh, another one, I guess you could also say I would rather, I would want to see Daniel Craig and John Wick. Oh. And I want to see him as the like as one of the villains where Keanu Reeves has to fight James Bond. John Wick has to go one-on-one with 007. That would be a neat fight. Yeah. I'm giving it to John Wick just because I think he has a higher kill count. Yes, I believe he does. I mean, he he he's done stuff with a pencil. I'm not knocking Q and Tech on that, but I'm saying he's done stuff with a pencil. Who, who do you think is the Bond with the most kills? Are we talking Bond movie or are we talking the Bond? Bond okay, or, or are we talking people Actors. that Bond have killed? Yeah. Which actor playing Bond has the most kills under his belt? Probably going to go with Brosnan. You're right. Yeah, he was the most deadly Bond. Because you had the plan explosion, which knocked out a couple people in Goldeneye. <laughs> you have the building that fell, which killed quite a bit and Tomorrow Never Dies. The submarine and Die Another Day. Yeah, I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, I forget the numbers, but yes, he was the deadliest Bond, which I found surprising because I would have thought it was Roger Moore because he had more movies. Another thing that we were talking about is parody of Bond songs. Uh, there is a YouTuber who takes theme songs and makes them into his own wording. He's that he's done an awesome Superman. He's done an awesome Indiana Jones, Jaws, Batman. And in, and probably after you and I were talking about it, I rewatched it. It is hilariously funny, and it is the um, James Bond one where he goes like, and I never sweat. Yeah, you never see me sweat. <laughs> yes. And it like, and, and, and it's him petting a stuffed kitty. I mean. Yeah, yeah he takes turns between being Blofeld and being Bond. Everything. His name is Golden Tusk. Everything he does. If you're a fan of it, you're going to love it. The um, he's take, He took a hiatus for, for a couple of years, I think. And he just recently released something on, um, what was that, Game of Thrones? Yes. Which I've never seen Game of Thrones, so a lot of it was lost on me, but I, I still found it funny because I can, I can kind of infer what the, the storyline was by what he was saying. It was, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, my, what, one of my favorite ones that he does, even though I'm a big Superman fan is the Batman one. Mm-hmm. And it's just the, because the way that the music that he, uh, parodies to is the 89 Batman film. And it starts off slow, but then it picks up and it just gets faster and faster. And he's able to keep up with it. Yeah. He's got a great voice and he's a tremendous talent. Yes. I 100% agree. Uh, check out his channel. What was his name again? Golden Tusk. Okay, and I'll have a link below in the description for him as well. And if you're listening, Mr. Tusk, please like. Okay, so I know that you're a big Bond car guy. Yes. All right, so what has been your favorite Bond cars? 
you know, I, I hate to sound like a like a broken record. I always come back to the Spy Who Loved Me because that is what you know started my love affair with Bond. Uh, so that Lotus Esprit that they had, you know, it was great. I mean, I even had the Hot Wheel of it. But if I could choose one, it wouldn't be that. It would be the DB7. Yeah, what film that. was brought? Aston Martin. Um, that would have been Pierce Brosnan era. He always had some sort of Aston Martin DB7. Yeah, I was going to go with the, uh, what was it? Uh, Die Another Day Bond car. I loved the look of it. I loved the way that the technology was incorporated into it. I was just a big fan of the Die Another Day Bond car. I don't know what model it is. I'm pretty sure you're right. It's an Aston Martin. Don't ask me for the model. Couldn't tell you. I just love the way that it looks. Yeah. And then, of course, the classic Sean Connery Aston Martin is just beautiful. They don't make cars like that anymore. No, they really don't. And there's something to be said about the old school cars. Yeah. Uh, and once again, I'm going back to the jetpack. I mean, um, the either jetpack or the way that the passenger seat ejected. Yeah. Love that the, that happens. Now, and it's it's funny, you watch Thunderball and that scene with the jetpack, he, he runs up the stairs and they don't show him putting it on. We don't know where it came from. All of a sudden, he just has it on. So it's too bulky to have had underneath his, his sweater or a jacket. So um, I guess the, the best theory out there is that he had planted it on the roof prior. That, or I'm going to go a little bit deeper, that it's one of those rare Hollywood oopses because <laughs> that much. happens yeah there's a couple of films where that happens uh good reference is teenage mutant ninja turtles the first movie it is actually shown that the boom guy who holds the microphone is in one of the final shots that got released in theater in april's apartment you only see it for a couple of seconds but he's in there so it could be uh, it's very similar to that it could be one of those we don't know how this happened but it's the best way that we could think of it. Right. And there's a very famous blooper, uh, James Bond blooper in Thunderball with um, the underwater uh, masks where uh, Bond has a blue one, the bad guy has a black one, and then something happens to Bond's, so he goes and when he kills the other guy, he pulls his off, puts it on, and then in the next scene, it's still blue. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. There's Yep, that's another oopser. Yeah. Actually, not next scene, next shot, like. The next shot. So okay. Like right away, you, you can tell he put it on and it's blue. <laughs> well, I think on some of those films, and this is what I will say, like what we were talking about earlier with some of the technology aspects. See, now you can generate being underwater and all this and that and so forth. But I think back then they probably had a tank to where you were underwater. But that was probably where the stunt guys come in because I can see more, and even Connery say, uh, let's bring in the stunt guy for this. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, Probably more, but I think Connor did a lot of his own stuff. Because, I mean, it wasn't really that dangerous what they had Bond doing anyway. Um, but I'll tell you what, movie movie making has become very sophisticated. Like, I don't think they had a continuity guy there during that. To, to, you know, like, now there's a guy who's, that's his job. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a stain, like, right there on your shirt in a particular spot, he has to remember that that stain is there. So the next time you wear that outfit, they can put that stain there. I don't think that really existed back then. No, and the first time that I've heard of the continuity individual that's part of the TV, uh, that's part of that, was on a TV series called 24. Because it was the first season, uh, his daughter had worn some type of pink, or like a pinkish red nail polish, and the next episode she wanted to wear a different color. And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> so she had to wear that exact same color every episode for that season. So, yeah, and um, another 
good example of that is in uh, especially with British drama, they're very big on continuity. Uh, Downton Abbey's big on it. There's another TV show called Outlander that's very, very big on continuity. So I get what what you're saying. I think continuity is big, and depending on the scale of it, if something is missed, you're you're either going to get called out for it, or it's so minuscule that you don't even recognize it. Now I've got a question for you. What is your favorite Bond line? Oh, that's a good question. I'm probably going to go with the way he says his name. <laughs> Bond. James Bond. Very good. Um, I mean, you know, I don't go around introducing myself that says Morton. <laughs> Robbie Morton. No, but if I was named James Bond, I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you ever gone up to anybody and said, you know, if they, if they asked you for your name? Garcia. No. Anthony. Garcia. <laughs> no. <laughs> because you also have to say it in that kind of in that tone. You just can't go Morton, Robbie Morton. You have to go Morton, Robbie Morton. <laughs> you have to say it with Bond. No. My favorite line is actually not one Bond uttered, but it was the uh, the bad guy. Um, well, of course, there's the classic one from Goldfinger. He said, you expect me to talk? Oh, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Yes. That's great, but I mean, that's everyone knows that one. I like the one in Living Daylights, Timothy Dalton. What's the line? The line is, um, you've had your six, now I'm going to have my 6,000. <laughs> and who was the bad guy? Oh, it was some sort of American general. Okay, cool. Don't remember his name. It's hard to remember, and this is a good thing to bring up. It's hard to remember some of the Bond villains. I mean, there's been great villains, and then there's villains like, he was the villain of the movie, huh? Like, I don't even remember who it was. What about the names of the Bond girls? What's your favorite? Uh, I'm going, like I said, I'm going again with Natasha from GoldenEye. Or uh, I forget her name, the one who ended up getting painted gold and Goldfinger. Yeah, no, I mean, um, okay, so most of the Bond girls had double entendres as names. I mean, which Bond girl name did you like the best? Oh. For instance... Uh, I thought Dr. Goodhead was hilarious. And, and, not, and not at the time, because I was very young and it went over my head. <laughs> so then when I watched it <laughs> years later, I was like, oh. I'm going with that answer. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm piggyback off of you on that one. <laughs> and then the most famous one is Pussy Galore. Yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm, but I'm going to go with the first one, the doctor one. That one, yeah, I get that. Okay. And then the, the, one of the worst, uh, one of the worst Bond girls, and, and she was very pretty, just not very good actress in my opinion is uh from well her name was dr christmas it was uh denise richards remember she was supposed to be a, a nuclear physicist that was in bras yeah. yeah 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 uh and she was was Halle berry a bond girl she was she was she's the one that reenacted the uh the bikini scene coming out of the water from dr no do you know which character she played i do not remember her name okay I, I think she was one of the few ones who did not die. I don't think she died. No, I don't think so either. And and she was one of the few that was kind of equal to Bond. She was yeah. agent in her own right and you know, kind of fought side by side with him. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, most of the Bond films, the Bond girl dies. Very few times do they actually survive because it's one of the things that compels Bond to go after the villain is when the girl dies. Well, one of the girls he sleeps with dies, right? Yeah. Then there's a girl at the end that he stays with. <laughs> and sometimes the one are the same. So 
Um, I don't think that he's like in Goldeneye. I don't think he slept with Natasha until the very end. If he did, it was implied, but right. you know, I don't think there was another Bond girl throughout that film. Besides, and it wasn't the villain the Avana top. So, yeah. All right. So I told you my experience of the first Bond film that I went to go see, which was Goldeneye. Uh, what was your experience of going to see Goldeneye? I was in college at the time. Uh, we were around nineteen twenty. Went to a group of friends, and we actually one of the girls in the group had never seen a Bond movie, and she was confused as to what was going on. She she couldn't believe it. She saw that people were shooting at him, and he wasn't getting hit. He only needed one shot to kill people. The uh, when when he went off the cliff on the bike to chase the plane. She lost it. She's like, that's impossible. I'm like, no, it's not. That's Bond. <laughs> like, if it, if it flies, if it can be driven, you know, he knows. He knows how to drive everything, fly, pilot. He's the man. And that is a good, you know what? That's a good way of saying it. From now on, that's how I'm going to say it. Is that it's not impossible. It's a Bond. <laughs> that is great. Anthony, I bet you you know a little fun fact thing about James Bond, don't you? For sure. Um, All right, tell me one fun fact about James Bond films. In preparation for this, I was doing some reading, and I learned that the James Bond franchise really doesn't make its money from the ticket sales, per se. They make their money from merchandising, the sponsorships that they get. So the Heineken beer the uh, during the, um, the Pierce Brosnan days was the BMW, the Omega watch. All, so by the time the film is released into the theaters, they've actually already made all their money back and then some. So kind of like what Disney, Pixar, and all of them do, uh, they release products before the movie comes out once they release the trailer just to get people to go buy the products. Right. Do you think that's a smart business strategy? Oh, yeah, definitely. And then so long as the movie doesn't flop, there'll be plenty of sponsors for next time. Because, and I'm going to use an example of Power Rangers. Um, I know that you're not much into the Power Rangers, but in 2017, there was a Power Ranger movie. It brought in over $300 million in merchandise, but the film itself only made close to $150 million versus the $100 million that it took to make it. So it was, it was deemed a box office failure, and instead of going with a sequel, they're going to reboot the franchise. Uh, there's a new one coming out, hopefully within the next couple of years. So I think you're dead on. The movie has to have some commercial base to be successful, but I agree with you that merchandise 100% can help sell a movie, especially with the Disney films. Right. I mean, the Build-A-Bears alone <laughs> that Pixar does, yeah, I'll say I'll say this, and I'm not a, you know, I, t- I try to avoid talking about Star Wars on other podcast <laughs> episodes, but I'll tell you this, uh... During the Christmas holiday, the Rise of Skywalker came out. I got me two Star Wars Build-A-Bears. <laughs> the dog destroyed the prog, but I was okay with that because that was just a mistake for episode eight. Those little things. You know I'm, why they did it though, right? No. Oh, to cover up. I guess there's some sort of native bird there on that island, and they were just all over the place, and they couldn't stop them from being there. So they put these things, they CGI'd these things over them to hide them. Really? Yeah. So does that mean that Chewie actually ate? <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, we're getting off subject on a different, on one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> oh, and I'll, I'll say one thing about uh, this James Bond 
merchandising, you're you're too young to know the phenomenon that was Bond back in the '60s and '70s. I mean, he was huge. The uh, I mean, I think adjusted for uh, the number adjusted for the number of theaters and ticket prices, Thunderball is still one of the top selling movies of all time. Really? Yeah. I know that the um, there was a TV series that came out about ten years ago called Mad Men. Uh, one of the main characters was Don Draper, and in preparation to it, uh, during an interview, is that he got told to kind of have the persona of Bond, is that we want you to have the peel of it, we want you to be confident, we want you to be a man's man, you know, we want you to be able to sell yourself and sell a product, because he was, the story behind Mad Men was an advertisement firm. Okay. So, he, um, the actor, uh, Mr. Ham ended up watching a couple of the Bond films to try to embrace that because the movie or the TV series started out just as Kennedy won the election back in 60. So I agree with you. Um, I didn't know that little fun fact about the, the Thunderball. Is it still, not counting for inflation, is it still one of the best, highest grossing? No, no, no. No way. Okay. There's, there's just way more theaters now well that, that that's i'll say not counting for inflation so up until i'm gonna say the brosman era was that the most successful bond film to your knowledge okay so yeah so you're saying the counting for inflation like if you adjust for inflation not not counting for it meaning pure dollars yeah no yeah the movies nowadays make much more than the old movies because a the, the price of the ticket is more and b there are more theaters Right, but yes, Thunderball. Once you adjust for those things, it's still one of the highest-grossing films ever, and definitely one of the or the highest of James Bond. Although I think I read, much to my chagrin, that uh, one of the Craig movies outdid uh, Thunderball. Once you adjust for all of this, yeah, um, I heard that Skyfall reached the billion-dollar club. Okay, it might have been Skyfall then. So, because Skyfall. Was um, I know you? I, I know you're not a fan of them, so I'm hesitant to talk about it. But I know that one of the way that people have said it. I don't know if they're Bond fans, but the way that people have said it that Skyfall is probably the greatest Bond film of many generations. They didn't say all generations; they said many generations. Right. I'll say this: each one has gotten progressively better. Okay. The and and. I I don't like admitting it, but I think this last one looks really good. (laughs) Well, it's kind of like what you were saying earlier is that the way that the trailer had presented itself, it looks like that they they went back to the basics. Right. It doesn't look like that they overdid themselves, that it's relied heavily on CG. It looks like they kind of combined a little bit of the uh, Sean Connery, Roger Moore era into it. Would you, I mean, just, yeah, just, no, just looks, based yeah. off the trailer. Just based off the trailer, it looks like they've gone back to the original recipe. Which, in my opinion, like a, we were talking about earlier, the classics are better than the currents. But like I said, that's just our opinion. Correct. All right. All right, Anthony, we've talked about our favorite Bond movie. Mine was on Her Majesty's, mine was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yours was For Your Eyes Only. What is your least favorite Bond? Oh, um, that would have to be License to Kill, Timothy Dalton. Um, it, it barely qualifies as a Bond movie, in my opinion. 
there was no real mission. It was a, it was revenge. He was going out there to get personal revenge. For mine, um, that's a good question. I'm probably going to have to go with the uh, Daniel Craig Spectre. I did not understand that storyline. It was a little convoluted. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was, you know, the acting was good. I like that they brought in, um, I'm a big fan of wrestling. I like that they brought in Dave Batista and so forth. But I just didn't understand the storyline. I understood the storyline for Casino Royale. I understood that certain events in Casino Royale impacted uh, Quantum of Solace. But I, and I even understood Skyfall. I liked the way that M went out. I, to me, M went out on her own terms. Yeah, no, that was very good. But I don't understand Spectre. I, I tried. I just don't. What about you? Did you understand Spectre? You know, I, I watched it and um, I thought it was getting closer to the bond that, that I like, but it still wasn't there. And I agree, it was a little convoluted and I really couldn't tell you much about the, the movie. I, I, I did kind of enjoy it, but not so much as a Bond movie, just as a as an action flick. Yeah. Okay. Now, speaking of Bond movies, action flicks, the Dr. No, that actually spawned a whole genre of spy films for the 60s. It was kind of the, the first one to, to do the uh, espionage in that way. And there were a lot of imitators after that. Do you want to name some of the imitators? You know, I'm not that well versed in it. I just, okay. I just know that it was, it was. They were fakes. <laughs> the, they were imposters. There's only one James. Well, actually, there's multiple actors who play in James Bond, but there's only one James Bond. And you imitators, shame. <laughs> the um, also, I don't know if you know, there was a uh, previous Casino Royale before Daniel Craig's. It came out after Dr. No. It was not part of Eon Productions. That's what I was going to say, is that it's not recognized. That's why I didn't include him on my Bond list. Yeah, and that was David Niven. And that was actually Eon Fleming's choice to play Bond, um, although the guy was a little old already. But the uh, it was it was a funny movie. It was, I believe it was Woody Allen that did it. And um, it, it, took the, it took the approach that a lot of the fans would have liked to have seen in the Eon uh, production movies where... Um, James Bond was like the dread pirate Roberts. You know, it was a mantle that was passed on from agent to agent, James Bond 007. Now, see, if you were to kind of, for the next film, since this is potentially Craig's last film, if they were to kind of implement that, I think that's the way that you could sell a new 007. I agree. That here's the mantle, it's now yours. But I don't know if they're going to do that. Well, I mean, they kind of already are doing that. I think in the beginning of this new movie, he is no longer 007. He's retired, and now this black lady is 007. Okay, I don't know. I've, um, she's not James Bond, but she's 007. Okay, um, I, I didn't know that. Because like I said, I'm trying to stay off of Wicca for looking. When prepping for this, I did everything I could to avoid going to Wicca because I, Wicca can give you too much information, if that makes any oh, sense. Yeah, for sure. And then there's also information you're going, what? I often get lost in a rabbit hole when I'm on a wiki because it's just one thing leads to another, leads to another. And yeah. I've got like 10 tabs open, <laughs> haven't yeah. finished anything. I, this is not James Bond related, but since you brought up the passing of the mantle, and we're both DC guys, um, to me, the best passing of the mantle, of the mantle that I have ever seen 
for a passing of a mantle is from Christopher Reeve to Tom Welling and Smallville. Mm. Okay. Yeah. To me, that is the best passing of a mantle that I, that I could ever see because he is the one who told him your name is Kal-El. You come from the planet Krypton. It's not there anymore. This is the message that was left for you. Yeah. Smallville was a great show. I loved it. Oh yeah. No, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I have half my wall dedicated to Smallville, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I. But like I said, is a little off subject right there. But to me, that when everyone says passing of a mantle or talks about that, my mind automatically goes to that. My mind automatically went to uh, Batman Beyond. I thought that was great. Nice. Yeah, when Batman hands it over to Terry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the way they ended it—that he was a clone of. Well, he wasn't the clone. He was the, he was the genetic offspring. Oh, okay. Because what happened was they use uh, Amanda Waller used the uh, some of Batman's blood and injected uh, Terry's father with Bruce's DNA, and then a couple months later, Terry's born, and he has the DNA of Bruce Wayne. Okay. Okay, I like that better. Yeah. I remembered it being some sort of clone. I'm like, how would he not recognize himself young? <laughs> no, it's because Bruce needed some type of transplant. Terry did a DNA test, and that's when he figured out that he's half Wayne. Um, but, yeah, no. that uh, There was a TV show called Justice League Unlimited, mm -hmm. and I think that's when they covered the conclusion of Batman was for that episode because uh, – this point, Terry McGinnis has established himself as Batman. He's been Batman for a few years. Diana knows that he is Batman. So, yeah. But um, little fun fact on that one, because the clip that they show, uh, they were going to have the um, Mask of the Phantom. The Phantom actually kill the McGinnises to kind of help establish his role of becoming Batman, but she decided against it. The, the lady who played the Phantom. But, you know, his father ends up getting killed anyway. He still becomes Batman. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my favorite cartoons is Batman, the animated series, and then Batman Beyond. Uh, the, both of them are excellent. All right. Now, let me ask you this, uh, since we've moved on to DC a little bit. Do you think that if they could get Michael Keaton to play old Batman, <laughs> would he? Would he? If they offer me enough money, definitely. Well, because here's the thing. He's also tied with Marvel yeah, and the Vulture. Vulture. right? And you and I talked about this a little bit during lunch. Uh, there are certain actors who can get away with both Marvel and DC. You had the actor, uh, Zachary Levi, who played one of the warriors with the Lady of uh, with Lady Sith from the uh, second, and Thor, uh, second and third Thor movie who ended up getting killed by Helena, he ends up becoming Shazam. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the people from Guardians of the Galaxy, I forget who it was, he ends up getting killed, and he's also in Shazam. See, and I think that says it all right there. You forget who it was. That's what you were saying. If it's a secondary character, I think it's definitely doable. But if it's one of the main characters, it's a little yeah. harder. No, is that I don't think you're going to be able to get Chris Pratt. I don't think you're going to be able to get Downey or right. Evans and same thing, and same thing on the D side. I don't think you're going to be able to get uh, Gail Gadot. I don't think you're going to be able to get Henry, and um, 
some but, of the other ones. But they do want to get Henry for something. I forget what role. Well, I know that they've talked to Christian Bale about playing the villain in the new Thor movie. And it sounds like he's on board, but I don't know the role yet. And like I said, I'm trying to stay away until it gets officially announced. Hey, now, did you know there was a James Bond cartoon? I did not. Yes. It was short-lived. It was called James Bond Jr. And it was actually James Bond's nephew in a, in a boarding school. And he did, you know, he had adventures and he had uh, technology from his uncle James. And it's actually kind of a catchy song the, uh, that they had for it. Now, is this canon to James Bond or is this just like a, because once canon, again, no. this goes to what we were talking about earlier. If you do an origins, you could tie this into it. Right, right. James Bond had a sibling. Yeah, I don't, I don't think in the books he had any siblings. Oh, but you know what? <laughs> Until we get it confirmed, he could have. He could have, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't have anything else. I think we've covered Bond and a few other things in depth. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, is there anything, are you on social media or anything like that? No, no. I tend to stay away from that. Okay. I like my anonymity. <laughs> it's all good. Well, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode. There will be more episodes coming at a faster rate. Um, I apologize for not posting episodes on sooner. I wanted to give everybody enough time to watch Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker. It did get released today on the 14th. Well, when this episode was recorded on the 14th, digitally, it's coming out soon. So we will be covering Star Wars Episode Nine, our reviews of that, and then we will also uh, be talking about a few other things. But the, uh, after Episode Nine, we're really not going to be talking about Star Wars again until close to October when Mandalorian season two comes out either October or November. So, but we do have more content coming. I am working on getting more guests. I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode again, Anthony, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for talking to me about James Bond. I learned a lot more about James Bond today than I probably have in the 20 years that I've been watching Bond. Oh, well, thank you. It was my pleasure. All right, everybody take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of, Anthony Garcia and I talking about James Bond. Hopefully you learned a lot. I know I learned a lot. I learned a lot more about Bond than I ever hoped to possibly know. Anthony Garcia, excellent expert when it comes to James Bond. So I hope y'all enjoyed today's episode.